Orale, bienvenidos and welcome to the Familia FFB podcast. I'm your host, Jorge Martin, and we are going to the nor el, el norte, almost the great white north, going to Buffalo. We are, you know, we're not going to be jump diving into any tables today, but Bill's Mafia is in the house and joining us, our invitado de lujo, Greg Thompson. He is the host of the Cover One podcast cover one buffalo he also does a cover one fantasy one which is really cool because we can talk a little non-buffalo fantasy at the end but uh you know he's been covering the the bills for several years he's obviously a longtime fan and you know just so excited that he's here to talk about some bills with us greg thank you so much muchas gracias for joining us no i, I appreciate the invite jorge i'm very excited to be able to talk about it it's uh it's fun to finally be able to enjoy both the buffalo bills and fantasy football because i spent a lot of my time where those were very separate things because you never wanted to draft any buffalo bills for over a decade uh so i'm excited that now my enjoyment of the buffalo bills can actually help fantasy football instead of the opposite yeah i think it for me you know i go back to the 90s playing fantasy football so i i had the uh the that triangle of uh, that, that trio of greatness of Kelly yeah. Thurman Thomas and uh, and Andre Reed. I times, try to so. tell people Thurman Thomas was Marshall Falk before Marshall Falk. Like he was the original yards from scrimmage, you know, guy that that really took it over. But yeah, it's a uh, it's certainly exploded and grown a lot since then. Yeah, th those were the days of uh, keeping stats in news, you know, from the newspaper. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I used to do those uh, USA Today salary cap leagues where you would like use the the amount of money they gave you, and you'd have to mail it in and then try to keep track of everything. Those, uh, yeah, it, it goes back. It was a little more archaic back then. Now, now it's a little bit easier. I can just check on my phone and swipe through every lineup real quick. It's great. <laughs> I know that was the time when you could you could really only have one team because it's just like yeah can you imagine now the time where you could have like 10 12 teams that you're you're trying to keep an eye on it's like they're all <laughs> on your phone nice and organized but um you know and, and you mentioned being a, you know a Bills fan I I love the pin tweet on your on your profile the the Bruce Smith how big of a surprise was that from a legend an icon in Buffalo so it is pretty great. Anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, you can see my my uh, tag here at Greg Thompson. My wife, uh, for my 40th birthday, I just turned 40 this spring, um, wanted to surprise me with something, you know, kind of different in that, you know, I, I am a Bills fanatic and they have every little possible decoration, tchotchke, anything that you can have Buffalo Bills. I, I probably already have it. Um, and I joke all the time that I love the Buffalo Bills more than anything I'm not related to. Uh, and that... My favorite player of all time is Bruce Smith. I played defensive line. I played D line in college. Um, I, he was my favorite player and just an icon, you know, all time sack leader in the NFL. Well, she found that he was new to the cameo site um, and reached out to him to do a video for me about my birthday and that for anyone who doesn't remember the old dennis hopper commercials back in the 90s where he would dress up as kind of this frantic official sneaking into the locker rooms and he did the one where he like you know talks about what bruce does in his shoes is bad things man and that you know was a favorite of mine and my grandfather's uh, one of my favorite memories of of him was saying that commercial and watching games with him before he passed away um so she had mentioned to bruce it would be really cool if you could work that in to the video and he did an awesome job 
job with it about, you know, what happens when you turn 40 and what happens with your body and bad things, man. It, it's awesome. It's one of my prized possessions. Um, I'll, I'll remember it forever. And, and I'm certainly way in the negative and brownie points with my wife. I got a lot of work to do to catch up. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, I, I think maybe when Brad Pitt does a cameo or something like that. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, find, I'll find some way to try to get myself back even. um well let's 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 jump into the bills and i think it just uh it starts with the quarterback josh allen the 258 million dollar man i don't think uh a lot of times quarterbacks make that big leap in year two he did that uncharacteristic leap in year three where he just put it together he became an mvp candidate Uh, great passing i think that's well where did he just, uh, you know, become, go from being a guy that you wanted to have on your fantasy because he could run in some touchdowns to, yeah. oh my God, this guy's one of the best. So um, for anyone who was outside of the Bills, a lot of people would assume that Bills fans were just being fanatical and overly buying into, um, you know, all the different narratives that were out there about Josh Allen. One of the reasons... Um, that I made such a quick switch. I, I was not a fan of him as a prospect. I saw what everybody else saw. I watched the film. I looked at the stats. It Those kind of prospects and that combination just is an incredibly low probability of translating into the NFL. Once it happened, some of the things that it's not, not as though it wasn't out there, but that Bills fans, you know, fanatically are going to consume all the content that's out there you started to learn very quickly how smart he was, how hardworking he was, how little he had in development. He was not a big-time prospect. He was a zero-star prospect. He had no scholarship offers. He wasn't in Elite 11 camps and these 7-on-7 summer leagues and all the different pieces that you do that some of these guys come in with thousands of reps of professional, you know, drop from center, you know, three-step drop, quick read, uh, understanding he was way behind that and then you know went to Wyoming went to junior college read really junior college then transferred to Wyoming as his only scholarship offer and then ran a option run based offense with you know no, no offense to the Wyoming coaches but it, it's not exactly some high flying but you know it's not Lincoln Riley out there developing professional quarterbacks um so what it meant was it did not mean he was going to succeed. It did not mean that he was inevitably going to be good. What it meant was there was more capacity for improvement than a standard prospect coming out. That there was a wider range and variable of how good, how much better he could get. And that when many guys take that second year leap, it's because that's kind of the finishing touches. That's the last pieces of it. And I'll add one piece. There was a scout, and this was a direct quote from an NFL scout during that 2018 process, saying that between Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen, that there he had 10,000 more reps. And, and we kind of joked, and it was like, oh, you know, like Malcolm Gladwell and the 10,000 hour rule. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not exaggerating. We think that Baker Mayfield has thrown 10,000 more passes than Josh Allen in his life. And that you just can't make up for that kind of capacity. So um, 
I don't know that we're going to see additional improvement or another step forward. He just had, you know, what would have been the MVP season in probably 48 of the last 50 seasons in the NFL. Just Aaron Rodgers happened to have a historically great season. Um, So, you know, I think some people talk about regression. I don't think regression needs to mean, you know, crushing back down to earth. But if you look at after Peyton Manning's 55 touchdown season and Tom Brady's 50 touchdown season and, uh, Patrick Mahomes season, you can take a step back and still be really good. So I don't know that I expect 4,900 yards and 46 touchdowns from Josh Allen again, Um, but he could easily have 4,400 and, you know, 41 touchdowns. And that's a 10% regression across the board. Um, So I I still think this offense runs through him. He is the centerpiece of this offense. We're going to get to the running game here in a moment, but nothing is changing the fact that they're going to be the pass heaviest offense in the NFL and that he's going to be one of the best running backs on the team. And that combination is, you know, in my opinion, the second highest floor in fantasy besides Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, on the, because of the investment, uh, do you still see them, you know, having him run out there? Because he's he definitely puts his body into harm's way plenty of times. So they're absolutely going to be in his ear about maybe being smart about it. But if you watch, he did that last year. Um, he ran less last year than he had before from a frequency standpoint. But he was still good when he ran. And the times when he runs is still in the red zone. So... He's now going to, you know, he has Cole Beasley now as a checkdown option. You don't need to be the one on third and four that you have to scramble for it. I have a guy who can get open. Now you add Emmanuel Sanders. You still have, you have Stephon Diggs. Um, he doesn't need to be the guy to get those from 20 to 20. But when they get down in the end zone, down in the red zone, he's still a viable option and, a you know, probably second to Cam Newton, one of the best red zone rushing quarterbacks that you can have. He's had eight touchdowns each year. Um, you know, maybe that's five this year. You know, maybe it's not eight again. But I still think that with the floor that that provides, you're still looking at four to 500 yards, four or five touchdowns solidly, and you add that onto the pass-heaviest offense in the NFL, um, it's it's going to net out to a very safe floor. Um, over time, I'm sure they'll ask him to run less and less, but I actually think the high leverage opportunities will maintain pretty well. Yeah, and those are the ones that end up being the uh, most valuable ones anyway. That's Those are the ones that turn into touchdowns. So awesome, awesome. Running backs. Uh, I think this is one of those groups that's kind of a headache. Um, there were, you know, in in tra- early training camp, there was talk that maybe Zach Moss was taking a step forward. Then he pulls his hammy. Devin Singletary looks pretty good in the, in the first exhibition game. Can you help us help our familia community make make heads or tails of how this uh, running back uh, group is going to go? So the good news is they're all cheap. So at no point are you going to have to make a substantial investment in the Bills running game. So it's easy to take flyers in a piece of an offense that scored 500 points. So I am actually a sneaky Devin Singletary supporter. Um, He looked awesome in the preseason game. He looked more explosive. They talked about the body transformation he went through. He looks way more um, muscular than he did before. Not that he was... You know, every professional athlete's a pretty darn good athlete. Um, He didn't look like a traditional NFL running back. He didn't look like Adrian Peterson out there with, like, you know, zero ounces of fat. He kind of 
look like an average guy a lot of the times. He's only five seven. He's not that big of a dude, um, and he wasn't you know chiseled in any way. Um, he looked a lot more muscular this year, and he went through what he described as a ton of explosion and um, quickness and agility drills to try to get his acceleration improved. He's never going to be a 4-3-40 guy, but he's also faster than the 4-6-40 that he ran implied because he has great short area quickness, contact balance, is able to keep his feet. Now, unfortunately, any upside, whether it's Zach Moss or Devin Singletary, is capped by the fact that the Bills pass the ball 72% of the time. So when your opportunity is that other 28, um, you have to go into the passing game. Well, last year, from a targets and catches opportunity, Singletary was 10 times what Zach Moss was. And he's getting you know, 50, 60 targets for 40 catches, and Moss was getting single digits. So I think that I understand uh, the reports and that there were some times where it did look like it was trending to get more touches to Zach Moss down the stretch last year. I would also caution people that a big part of that was, well, for a stretch there in the second half of the year, the Bills were blowing out everybody. And they had, what, five, six straight games, double-digit wins. Well, that meant in the fourth quarter there was a lot of milking the clock carries. And that those have value. Like, those are important, and I want a piece of that. But... That doesn't always happen. I, you know, I, I think the Bills are going to be very good again this year. I don't know that they're going to go on a six-game stretch of double-digit wins back-to-back-to-back-to-back. To back to back to back. Um, in those stretches, if you go to the neutral game script scenarios w- within a score, the touches were much more even or even in, in Singletary's favor. When it became four-minute drill, of course you're going to give it to the guy who's 30 pounds heavier and four inches taller and um, is going to be able to do it. So um, I like Zach Moss. I think it's odd that Moss is going ahead of Singletary. I would take Singletary ahead. And when you tell me that you could wait two rounds and take a flyer in the 11th round on Devin Singletary versus a ninth round pick on Moss, I would take another receiver or a tight end or a quarterback in the ninth and wait and get Singletary later. They're both cheap. It's not going to cost you a lot, but I think there's a chance that Singletary could maintain that 60-40 split, be a little bit more explosive than he was in the past, and have better production in the passing game. Um, So, you know, I think there's more touchdown upside with Moss, but... Uh, I, I actually kind of like the value of Singletary there, and I know a lot of people have been excited about Matt Breida. I think he's very much going to be a bit player, similar to how the Bills had TJ Yeldon last year. I don't know that we're going to see there might be some game day inactives. Um, if you have an injury to the top two guys, Breida would be a, a priority cheap waiver pickup for me, but I don't know that I'd go out of my way to draft him. That's awesome. And you know what? Uh, talking about Singletary again, I, I Getting those cheap running backs who catch passes, especially in PPR, are so valuable. I, I love I, I love how you broke that down. That was fantastic. That I, that I think that that got me a little bit more thinking of Singletary as one of the you know kind of like that third or that fourth running back that you grab in like the ten, you know tenth or eleventh round. So love it, love it. Well, one guy who's not going to be lasting into the eleventh round, I don't think he's going to be going past the second round, is Stefan Diggs. We're gonna, I, I want to give him his own. Uh, he broke a narrative last year, which was you don't want to get the the receiver changing teams. Yeah. So he and DeAndre Hopkins, I think, destroyed that narrative. I mean, can we see another just, you know, top three wide receiver season out of this guy? So obviously last year, I think that there's a couple things in his favor to 
I want to say repeat, but have another very strong season. And the offset is he actually had really bad touchdown luck, like just pretty randomly, not by any strategy. It's not like they had, um, the Bills don't have like a Rob Gronkowski or a Calvin Johnson, like where you're down in the red zone or the way that the uh, Packers used Devontae Adams. It's not like they had another guy that, oh, we're in the red zone. Now we go to this guy. It was that the Bills broke the record or tied the record last year for the most different players catching a touchdown pass. They had 14 different guys catch a touchdown pass. Um, and that's great for the Bills. That's why they scored so many points. But it's also kind of random. Like there's plenty of times where Stefan Diggs is going to be the guy who's open. And I think it's likely that he catches more touchdowns this coming year. And the reason I call that an offset is I don't think his overall spot uh from a target share percentage and the volume that he got is going to drastically change but you know maybe it's 140 targets instead of 160 maybe it's 102 catches instead of 117 or whatever it was um it was such a phenomenal season from a a huge volume standpoint that he could still lead the team be one of the top guys in the nfl but maybe not the most targets and the most catches in the entire NFL. Um, you know, they, and he could still have a very, very good season. I think he has right there with Devontae Adams. I think you can argue Adams, this exact same statement, have the highest floors of any receiver in the NFL. He is going to be a top six to eight receiver at the very, very worst and has as good of a shot at number one as anybody. Um, so when you're drafting that and you know that I get him in the second, you know, you get a stud uh, running back and you come back early, you know, you're probably going to be need to be at the end of the first round to get him early in the second. But if you're there at the turn and you get to walk away with a Austin Eckler and Stefan Diggs as your first two guys, uh, that's a heck of a start to have a, a stud running back and a guy who's a staple wide receiver. He's one of the few exceptions. I like starting running back, running back a lot this year with how, quickly things drop off my exceptions are if i get a chance at Devonte adams or stefan Diggs, or just their floor is so high it's like drafting a running back and where do you stand on grabbing a tight end you know one of the top three tight ends in those first I, two rounds i really like the top three in it because i hate how far it drops off after them so uh kelsey's <laughs> right there for me um and then you know depending on it's very draft position dependent if you have an early pick i love the idea of getting one of those top backs and you get, you know, McCaffrey, you get Kamara, you get Cook, you who whatever your order is early on if you're a Derrick Henry or a Zeke guy. Um oftentimes when you come back later in the second round, I'll take Waller or Kittle or whoever's there and then take one of my other guys. Um I actually don't like it if I have one of the later picks, I get two studs, but by the time it comes back to the end of the third round, usually all the tight ends are gone and I'm like, well, I'll see you guys in the eleventh round. I'll pick a tight end later. There, I don't, I, I, I'm all done for a while. Um, but yeah, I, I do love snagging one of them, and, and that's a great combination to be able to do it. So if you're lucky um, and you get in a league that maybe thinks some regression is coming for the Bills' offense, or that Josh Allen's going to take a big step back, um, I think everyone should be realistic that there is going to be some regression. It's probably not going to be top two in the MVP voting again. And the same thing, maybe Stephon Diggs doesn't lead the NFL in every category again. It's not going to be some huge step back. This offense is still going to be pretty good. Every coach is back. Every other piece is back. The top 10 out of 11 snap producers are back. And the one change was John Brown out and Emmanuel Sanders in, which I'd argue is a slight upgrade. Um, so it's it's certainly going to be uh, an explosive offense again. 
Well, let's talk about those three receivers who are behind Stefan Diggs in the in the pecking order. You got Cole Beasley, you got Gabriel Davis, who's getting Gabriel Davis is getting a lot of a lot of fans, uh, fantasy players getting excited. And Emmanuel Sanders. How do you see kind of the targets breaking down with them after uh, after Stefan Diggs leaves a few behind? Yeah, so it's interesting in I'll I'll talk about different formats. Um, so the more PPR heavy and the more redraft that you get into, the more I like Beasley and especially Emmanuel Sanders for the price. Um, the more, if you're at half PPR or yardage only with no point per reception and especially dynasty, the more I like Gabriel Davis, um, for this season, Davis is going to be a definitive fourth option. He's not going to get as many targets as Beasley, Sanders, and obviously Diggs. Last year, if you look at his snap count percentage in the games with John Brown and without John Brown, it's a stark difference. And that there was a stretch where John Brown kind of tried to play and, and you know just tough it out through it. That that's the part where Gabriel Davis had huge performances when John Brown was healthy and it was Brown, Beasley, and Diggs. I mean. Gabriel Davis got fourth wide receiver snaps. And now in the Bills offense, with how often they go 10 personnel and four wide receivers and how often they pass, that was still a reasonable amount. But one, he had a really high touchdown rate, which you know everybody knows is very shows a lot of variance year to year. He likely wasn't going to get eight touchdowns again on the number of targets he got this year, even if he got that same number of targets. And I think there's a possibility his targets come back down a little bit. Now... Sanders is 34, Beasley is 32, both of them are, uh, Sanders is on a one-year deal, Beasley's on a deal that can be gotten out of next year and only has one year left anyways. I like Gabe, Gabe Davis a lot long-term as the long-term wide receiver two next to Stephon Diggs. I just caution people, if you're in Dynasty, do not quit early, but you might need to ride out this season as a lot of boomer bust that you're never going to know when to start. And maybe I like it more in best ball if you don't have to pick out when to start him and you just get the long touchdown weeks. Um, and from an overall value standpoint, I really like Emmanuel Sanders. He's going very, very late. I think that the combination of a lot of people assume Gabe Davis is wide receiver too, and I, I think it's definitively Emmanuel Sanders, and that Sanders played last year with Taysom Hill and the ghost of Drew Brees. It's hard to know what he still has left. He looks phenomenal in camp and in practices. Crazy explosive. Um, I think he's in for a nice season, and that combination of getting him a, a lot—he's going 12th, 13th round, you know, really late in a lot of drafts. Um, I think he's a nice upside swing, um, and you don't normally describe that with a 34-year-old wide receiver. Well, this is awesome. Thank you, thank you so much. This is great insight. Love it. Um, anything left over for any tight ends? So. I get into this a lot with Bills fans and other content creators in the Bills, you know, Bills universe is the chicken or the egg with Brian Dable's offense. Does Brian Dable hate tight ends or does he just create offenses that go to where his talent is? I am of the opinion that he does not have some penchant for hating tight ends, that he would throw the ball to one if the Bills had one that was worthwhile. Um, I do not think the Bills have a tight end one on the roster. 
I, I'm not a Dawson Knox believer. There are a lot of people and some people I trust and, and respect their opinions. He is has an elite athletic profile. He is a top-end Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Darren Waller caliber athlete. Um, he, he can't catch the ball. Like, he just drops the ball too much. Um, and it's happened in practices. He makes amazing, awesome, you know, highlight reel catches and then drops a wide-open touchdown. He literally did both those things in practice the other day. Um, and it's those things sit in Josh Allen's mind. Those things sit in Brian Dable's mind. And when you have the embarrassment of riches and all the other people in that receiving core, we didn't even talk about Isaiah McKenzie and some other gadget guys that can get targets. You don't need to scheme a lot of things for the tight end. So um, coming into the year, I was trying to tell myself that I thought there was going to be a path to you know, maybe some late round upside of Dawson Knox. Um, I can't swear that it won't happen. It could. Third year is not an uncommon breakout. Tight ends develop longer than other positions. He is an elite athlete. There is ingredients for the recipe of a, a better story here. Um, I'm not going to be drafting it or investing in it outside of last round best ball stuff of, hey, if you get a weird eight touchdown season, I'll take the weeks that he scores a touchdown. Um, I was aboard the the train of kind of wishing that that those Zach Ertz rumors came true um and that I thought that he could provide a reliable outlet for Josh Allen is just another option especially in zone coverage it's easy to zero in on Cole Beasley and having two guys that are very good at using leverage and finding space on third and five is just one more dangerous weapon there um but it seems like that's fully fizzled out looks like he's going to be solidly with the Eagles this year so I can't recommend any of the Bills tight ends from a draft standpoint. I won't blame someone if you're in a really deep league, a tight end premium league, a two tight end league. It's not crazy to take a flyer on Dawson Knox, but there are other late round guys that I'd rather take a stab at, in my opinion. Let's go to the old line. Uh, is this this group kind of in the middle of the road? I think it's in the teens on the Pro Football Focus's uh, preseason rankings. Uh, Definitely didn't seem like a problem last year. How do you see this this group kind of shaping up this year? Very similar. Uh, they're good at a lot of spots. Um, so the good part is their three best offensive linemen are at the three most important positions. Their three best linemen are left tackle Deion Dawkins, right tackle Darrell Williams, center Mitch Morris. They kind of use a shotgun approach at guard where they have a bunch of different guys competing. Um, they have Cody Ford coming back who finally looks healthy. He was a you know top 38 overall pick. Um, has played injured and moved positions a bunch of times. He looks really good. And his, his, the preseason game was the best film I've seen on him since he got here. Uh, they brought over Forrest Lamp, who was a, you know, a top pick uh, for the Chargers uh, on a cheap deal. And then they have John Feliciano and Ike Bakker all kind of competing. Um, none of them are going to be special. I don't even know that any of them are going to be above average. But if you have above average tackles and an above average center and then passable play at guard, in today's NFL you can make that work. You add in when your quarterback is 6'5", 250 and mobile, you know, you can survive a little bit of that as well. He, he stiff arms Aaron Donald so he can get himself out of some trouble, sometimes more than I would even like. Um, so ultimately, it's probably the reason that some of the run game capacity is capped a little bit. We're, not, we're never going to have a dominant Colts, you know, Cowboys, Browns offensive line. Um, but 
all of the guys are better pass blockers than run blockers, which is the analytics-leaning front office that the Bills have. They know what they're good at, and they lean into it. And the guys they have, Deion Dawkins, Daryl Williams, Mitch Morris, are better pass blockers than run blockers. And if I have to pick one, I'll take that one. Yeah, you keep keep that guy upright. <laughs> keep that number 17 upright. Uh, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. The team is pretty kind of, again, middle of the road against, uh, against the run and the pass. Uh, definitely – you know, standout players like Tredavious White back there. How do you see this uh, this defense shaping up for twenty twenty one? I ask I ask this question specifically for uh, people who are look. You know, when they're looking at targeting players, uh, you know, in DFS or something like that, do they have to worry about any particular players uh, shutting them down? Sure. So um, I do think that there's probably a little positive regression for the Bills defense. In 2018 and 2019, you're talking about top two, top five defenses from a yardage and points allowed standpoint. They had a lot of bad injury luck last year. So um, some challenges in you know getting Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano hurt right off the bat, uh, missing a bunch of games. That was a really tough like, chunk to take out uh, of the defense and, and to be able to go through and kind of set up where they're at. I, I I don't know they're going to go back to top two, top five again, but I actually think they're going to be improved. And then you add in all the investments they made in the defensive line and how good Gregory Rousseau has looked so far. Their first-round draft pick, he looks like a monster. Um, that I think there could be a bit of a step forward. So that combination, Tredavious White's always been really good. There are stretches where if the pass rush isn't getting home, nobody in the NFL can cover forever. And, and it, there's challenges with it. The years where the Bills had a better pass rush and a better overall defense was that marriage where Trey White is, he's not a Jalen Ramsey athlete, but he might be the best technician in the NFL. He's great at reading the quarterback. He's great at positioning. I think he's the best zone quarterback in the NFL or cornerback in the NFL. When the pass rush is getting home, that is incredibly valuable. And he's able to, you know, know that he doesn't have to worry about, no one's going to have enough time to get behind him and have to chase people down. Um, So some of that could come back into play where he had some of those stretches for a year or two where he was getting pro bowl and all pro votes um, and shutting down other teams, best receivers. If the pass rush is getting back there, there's a chance that you may want to be conscious of playing the bills. Um, But I I don't think it's anything you're going to need to worry about Uh, from a a team defense standpoint. There are some decent matchups early on. I'm not a huge fan of the Steelers offense this year. Um, You know, it's early on in the Dolphins. They play the Texans early on. Um, They play the Jaguars two games against the Jets. There's some nice matchup plays where you could use the Bills as a cheap late round pick. Uh, pairing with another team or or stream, from a streaming option standpoint where I think there'll be some good matchups. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Love that. Love that. Uh, let's do one last fantasy question. Any sleepers that you're looking at from the entire NFL? So obviously there's some guys that I find myself leaning towards late in that I use uh, the underdog fantasy app and I go mm-hmm. through and kind of look and see they do a neat uh, setup where you can see your exposure and who you draft more than other people. Um, so I'll look through there and be like, oh, huh, I guess I do like him. Um, <laughs> so I am a guy that waits on quarterback all the time. Um, late, I have a lot of 
Ryan Fitzpatrick, a lot of Joe Burrow, a lot of Matt Stafford. I, I think that those are some offenses that could be fun. You can invest in them late. Um, I think that's a, a good way to lean towards it. Um, I, I did mention Devil Sing Devin Singletary. I, I am a believer in, in him. Um, out of the higher-end running backs, I think Chris Carson's better than other people do. So I end up getting him a lot because I think he's like the last of the truly like trustworthy starting running backs you don't need to worry about. Um, and I also have a lot of Damian Harris. I think that the Patriots are going to really rely on the run game. They signed those two tight ends for a reason. They're going to go a lot of two tight end, fullback, running back, play action stuff. But I think they're going to use their strong offensive line to run the ball a lot. And I think Damian Harris is going to be the beneficiary of that. I won't blame people if they take some Ramondre Stevenson late as kind of a, a handcuff or a flyer for that. Um, I, I like... A lot of the secondary receivers on good offenses. So I see myself ending up with a lot of Tyler Boyd and a lot of Michael Gallup and a lot of Mike Williams. And they're almost like the handcuff version of, you know, you people can like Kareem Hunt because, hey, he's playable from a week-to-week basis, but something happens to Nick Chubb, boom, you got a top 10 guy. I kind of like those, that if something happens to C.D. Lamb or Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup becomes a top-end option. If something happens to Jamar Chase or, or T. Higgins, boom, Tyler Boyd becomes a top option. But they're also playable from a week-to-week flex standpoint. So I end up with a lot of those kind of guys as the next options in those top-end passing offenses. And I mentioned Emmanuel Sanders. Guys that are going just cheaper, but they're one step away from actually being in a really valuable spot. I have a lot of those kind of guys, and I would rather lean that way than maybe the number one option in an uglier offense of, hey, maybe I want to have Nelson Aguilar or Kenny Galladay or guys like that that I'm just not sure they might be the number one option, but I'm not sure that offense is going to produce anything I'm interested in. So sometimes it's weird to take a third option on one team versus a number one option on another team. But I think that that can be a, a decent strategy that if things fall the wrong way for some of the guys ahead of them, you can have a league-winning player. Whereas I don't know that there's any scenario where uh, Kenny Galladay is winning your league. I just don't know that that's uh, – Tyrell Williams is a popular one. He's late and cheap, so there's nothing wrong with Tyrell Williams. But I don't know that the number one option on the Lions is going to win anybody their league. I'd rather take a stab at somebody who could really have explosive upside. No, I love it. I love it. And you, you know, you mentioned uh, you were talking about Chris Carson being uh, another another running back that I like in that range is David Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just seemed to have, you know, he found an extra step doing some. You were talking about what Devin Singletary did. It sounds like uh, David Montgomery did something very similar. Well, and- I, I use an example for that. Uh, I had this discussion with somebody the other day. If you look at slow start, explosive second half of the year, young player. Why is Jonathan Taylor all of a sudden a top, you know, top 10, top 12 pick and David Montgomery is like a 40th overall pick? (laughs) David Montgomery finished fourth overall as RB4 last year. And everybody just gives Jonathan Taylor a pass for a really slow start and an explosive end of the season. Uh, David Montgomery did a lot of similar things. And I'm not saying Montgomery should all of a sudden be a 15th overall pick, but their seasons were awful similar last year. And, you know, I, I don't think it's terribly different this year. I, I think he's a great value. If you can get, you know, one of the stud running backs and then two or three receivers and get him as your fourth or fifth pick, I think it's a great way to round out a, a good starting core. 
Yeah, that that's that's been something that I've been trying to target a lot is getting like a Carson or a Montgomery, and when I go running back receiver early on, and just you know kind of like in the third round, third or fourth round, getting one of those guys to just yeah. kind of solidify the running backs. I, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, you know, people are talking about oh, you know, he Montgomery went against went against you know bad teams. It's like, yeah, did you guys see the Jaguars and the Texans at the end of the season that that <laughs> the Colts were going against? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, they still count. And even then, it's still, you know, figuring those things out. And oftentimes, I know some people will be anxious about running quarterbacks taking away from running backs. But a lot of times, a lot of the numbers and analysis shows that adding a running quarterback helps the running back because of the that one-second hesitation that the linebacker doesn't know if they're giving or keeping. Um I think that Justin Fields can be a boon. You know, the rising tide lifts all boats. I, I think that he can help that entire offense. I end up finding myself with a fair amount of Darno Mooney. Um, I didn't mention Allen Robinson when I was talking about number one receivers on terrible offenses. I think there's a chance the Bears might not have a terrible offense. I think there's a chance it's passable and, and decent. Um, and that, you know, I, I think having pieces of that where the perception is that the offense is going to be bad. Maybe it's undersold. Uh, the Jaguars are similar for me as well. I, I think people are underrating how good Trevor Lawrence is going to be compared to what they've had previously, and that overall pieces of that offense cheap might pay off. Yeah, plus I don't think their defense is going to be particularly good, so they're going to need to throw the ball. Lots of shootouts. Lots of shootouts. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, we're going to shoot out with uh, the fun taco question. What are some of your favorite tacos? Oh, so I do love a variety of things. I was just, uh, this past, uh, week I was on a work trip and I was in New York city and there was a place I asked the lady at the hotel where I could go. She's like, Hey, you got to trust me. I'm from San Diego. I know good. I know good tacos. You can head down this way. They're legit. And I had some amazing, there were steak, uh, like steak, street tacos and man they were fantastic so normally i lean more towards beef i lean more towards that side of things but um i've had some really creative ones with, with shrimp and with fish different pieces that you can just do a ton of things my wife loves a good chicken taco so um we certainly uh have plenty of them in, in our house but uh, I, I lean more uh anytime i can have anything with steak i usually lean that way oh outstanding outstanding oh yeah great guy you know oh I, I would expect New York City to have uh, uh, good tacos. Just a great, such a great eating city. Oh, yeah. give me, so, yeah, especially some great carne asada. Oh, love it, love it, Greg. I can't tell you how thankful I am for this. Un, esto fue un gran placer. Thank you so much for uh, for taking the time and b breaking down the bills for us. Uh, can you share with our familia community where they can find your great content? Absolutely. Come over. You can find me uh, at Greg Thompson on Twitter. You can find us at cover one, cover one.net. Um, anywhere that you're looking for podcasts, you can search for the cover one Buffalo podcast. You can search for the cover one fantasy uh, podcast. We have our own YouTube channel under cover one. Uh, so come on over, check us out. We do a lot of draft work. So if you're into different teams, obviously our, our, fantasy show is across the league our draft work is across the league um i personally do a lot of work on the bills as well but um there's plenty of other stuff outside of the bills you guys would be worthwhile to check it out oh yeah definitely give them a follow everybody definitely give them a follow uh otra vez eso es todo for our show uh special thanks to anchor for being our hosting network and putting out our podcast on apple google and spotify please make sure you subscribe also muchas gracias to youtube for putting our our podcast on, on video and putting our faces out there please make sure to hit a subscribe give us a like when you get a chance uh por favor uh also otra vez 
Greg, thank you. And you can find our original content at FamiliaFFB.com. And you can find me at Jorge Martin 17 just right here. And as well as at FamiliaFFB on Twitter and Instagram. Otra vez, Greg. Un gran placer to have you on. Thank you so much. And remember, everybody, todos somos familia. Salud.